Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Are you going to vote for Megatron for prime minister? What's his platform? Um, mostly killing Starscream. I'm down with that. Okay. Coming to you almost live from inside a stuffed ballot box, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And this is a very special edition of The Unknown Studio. Not just because I am sick and probably sound incredibly amazing. You actually don't sound too bad. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You've got such a wonderful voice. Well, yeah. But we're not here to talk about it. No. We're here to talk about the federal election, and joining us in the studio today is Laura Collison, a producer of Adam and Eve on CJSR. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Laura. And uh, making his second appearance on The Unknown Studio Also is in a political context. Also in a political context, uh, Duncan Wojtasek, a recovering partisan. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's fair. All that's right. good. Hi, guys. So, uh, so we've got an election going on all around us, and it's terrifying. It is. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about, because I've been asked it a number of times, and it's been stated by a few of the, shall we say, less savvy media types. Do you guys believe that this is actually Canada's social media election? Because I don't. I don't either. I think it's being used poorly. Because when Michael Ignatieff is debating, but he's also tweeting, you know, call me simple, but I get confused. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think they're doing it right. Hashtag fail for those of you <laughs> familiar with the term. I think uh, those people who are really into social media are excited to have an election to talk about on social media. But I don't think that people who weren't already using it are really getting the information there or, you know, finding it this great new thing. More than that, I would uh, posit that there are a lot of politicians who know they have to use social media to reach the youth vote, shall we say, mm -hmm. but don't really know how to do it. And so they're doing it either sloppily or incorrectly. So, I, I mean, kudos for the effort, but you don't know how to do it and it looks kind of painful. <laughs> like when you're watching your grandpa try to learn how to use a like a new iPhone, yeah. it's just, it, it's not working out. Well, I would suggest that the, they'd have a better chance of figuring an iPhone out than than Twitter or Facebook. Um, but who's doing it well, in your opinions? I uh, was really amused when Jack Layton deba debated uh, the current The Voice over Twitter. I did not fun. see that. Oh, it was really hilarious. I'm quite fond of The Voice. Yes. Uh, I wish I could talk that way. What were, what were they debating? Um, it was, you know, really bantering back and forth. They throw out a question and answer with a silly answer. And it was just more amusing than anything of substance. But I quite enjoyed it but I, th I think that's that's probably what uh certainly what i'm looking for from the social media aspect is is for to to see that sort of human element mm -hmm. you know um people talk about how stephen harper is a robot and and ignatius like this sort of inaccessible scholar this these technologies these tools give them the opportunities to be more human and, and some people are just not doing it that's true and i think you see glimmers of of greatness coming through but for the most part i don't think anybody's using it super well I mean, whether you're looking at either the Harper sing-along with that girl. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it makes him look more human, but then it was taken down right away. Um, 
see Ignatieff and Harper sparring a little bit over whether or not they would do a one-on-one -on -one debate over Twitter. But for the most part, I think it's just hints of greatness. It's certainly no one using it. I don't think anyone's opinion or their vote is going to be changed by social media this election, which I think would be the hallmark. Is someone going to vote differently because they watched something happen on Twitter or watched a YouTube video than they would have if they had never seen it in the first place? That's I don't think so. That's a good point. It's an interesting point. Um, I've noticed that citizens are sort of undertaking to use social media to um, share their thoughts about the election. We've seen the genesis of shitharperdid.com, mm -hmm. which uh, got a, a million views in one day and crashed their server. That was pretty cool. Um, what do you guys think of, of efforts like that to try and turn the tide? Is that, again, preaching to the base? Is this going to change anyone's mind? I think Shit Harper did might actually get some of the youth vote out. I think people really connected with that. Um, it was really amusing, and I love that they used that sketch of him with the kitten. It's such an iconic <laughs> yeah. image. So um, I think that might motivate some young people who were kind of like, oh, should I vote, should I not, to actually see what he's been up to for the past five years and you know, really get out there to hopefully bring him down. I was hoping that there would be uh, eventually more... Um, more articles or more points on that website, mm -hmm. but it doesn't look like it's grown all that much. Um, mind you, we still have a few weeks to go, so who knows what will happen. That's true. Those efforts also come across as more genuine, right? Mm -hmm. I, I look at shit, Har shit Harper did, or also um, that other thing of Enough Harper. There were a series of YouTube ads. And so I think those efforts come across as more genuine than anything uh, a partisan party might throw out there. If the liberals were found out to be behind it, they would just have a smarminess and uh, awkwardness that wouldn't be there. But the fact that these are either average or even, you know, exceptional citizens getting out there and trying to express their opinion, and it's not backed by a corporation or a union or a party, I think they come across as more genuine. And as Shit Harper uh, did points out, it's not backed by celebrities either. It's just uh, the sort of average, well, in this case, average Vancouverite um, <laughs> talking about their thoughts about, and actually quite funny. I have to admit, I, I've really enjoyed um, those, those YouTube videos. They're silly and they're a little irreverent, but um, let's go back actually to before the campaign started. I've heard this phrase a lot, and I initially felt this way as well, that this is not an election Canadians want. Do you guys agree or disagree with that? I think there are some Canadians who wanted this election. Obviously, but uh, <laughs> many of them liberals. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think the litany of, uh, well, I would say that the conservatives wanted this election too. They yeah, they played the, they played their hand so that the opposition would would tear them down so that they could blame the opposition on starting the election. But they wanted it because they smelt a majority, mm -hmm. and that's not a slam on on the Harper government. That is, that is the way the political game is played. They played it smartly. Kudos to them on that. But. I think that a lot of people are a little electioned out because of the litany of minority governments, which don't last long. Because especially when they're not willing to reach out and work together with the opposition, which is kind of what you're forced to do in a minority situation. You can't, you can't be as standoffish as, unfortunately, our government has been, and last, frankly. I, I'm, I'm impressed that the, that the opposition bent over backwards for as long as they did. And I think that's because they knew that if they pulled the trigger earlier than they did now, there would be even stronger backlash. So, and I mean, that's, that's from an outsider's opinion. That's me looking in. I don't know what people who are a little more plugged into the political realm think, but that's my two cents on the matter. I think given the ruling of contempt of parliament, it was a necessary election. Yeah. Whether people wanted it or not, it's not, you know, something trivial that brought it down. It's not a disagreement over finances that brought it down. It's... You know, the first ever 
um, time the government in Canada and possibly the Commonwealth has been found in contempt of Parliament. And that's a very serious thing. And, you know, a government only enjoys, uh, can only be government as long as it enjoys the confidence of the House of Commons. And there's no way that confidence can be enjoyed once you're in contempt. Now, do you think that that, do you think the average Canadian gets that? Because I don't. I, feel I don't like, either. I feel like I that don't. kind of message is just too complicated or um, obtuse. Like a con- contempt of parliament. I, I am in contempt of parliament all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you don't work for parliament. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like being in court and not showing the court the respect it's due. And basically the argument is that there are certain expectations and certain duties that a party must uphold in order for government to work. And if you're not doing that, you can... Basically, the finding is that if you are actively not performing your duties in Parliament, then you are effectively in contempt of Parliament. You are you are thumbing your nose at the function of government as as a representative of the people. And at that point, the Speaker of the House can find you in contempt. Sure. But but then correct me if I'm wrong. Has have the conservatives not sort of in their messaging spun it that the opposition parties defeated their budget? That's that's what I've heard. They have to an extent, and that's because the opposition parties all came out against the budget just the day before they um, went to non-confidence on... Uh, Although they did vote non-confidence on the contempt issue, right. not on the budget. It never got that's that right, far. That's right. But the Conservatives are successfully spinning it as an unnecessary election, an election that's being done to, to meet the partisan ends of the New Democrats and the Liberals. And I guess, I mean, I'm not in Quebec. I don't know what the Quebec messaging is of the Conservatives, but I would imagine it's... And in, in indemnifying the bloc as well as a part of that evil coalition of parties to bring them down. Yeah. And I do think it's a real, fa- real failing of the opposition parties to not take the time and take this ruling and really play it up more. Um, because it is uh, the continuation of a pattern that Harper government has had in contempt for democracy, proroguing parliament in order to delay things when um, they didn't really like what was happening. Um, in this case, if the parties would just take the time to talk about it a little bit more, and I think they've allowed Harper to spin it as something boring, um, as something that Canadians don't necessarily care about. Oh, I want to say something, but I'm not. The, the tack that, that uh, Harper appears to be taking, or, or that, that, that the Conservative Party appears to be taking, um, is that they're, they're good fiscal managers, and maybe they've had some missteps, but they've guided us through um, the recession, um, and they've held a minority government situation in for the longest in, hi- in Canadian history, and and then but it's it's it was interesting to watch the leadership debate. So let's start talking about this. I only watched the English language one, um, but it was very clear what the the tactic was for the Liberals. It was to paint Harper as not trustworthy and as not trusting in Canadians and therefore not receiving Canadians' trust. But I found that Ignatieff, and and I mentioned this before we started recording, I have a friend out from Toronto who said um, he's too too inaccessible. He he drills down too far, and his messaging gets really complicated. And he looked like an angry badger (laughs) during the debate. Like, he didn't, and I, I know that's so superficial, but people care about that kind of shit. So, um... I mean, what was your guys' impression of everyone's conduct at uh, at the leadership debate? I also thought everybody's conduct was superficial. So it's <laughs> just, I mean, leaders' debates are superficial by their very nature. Um, did did I thought all of the party leaders did well? I'm willing to say that I thought all of them covered their bases as what of what they needed to do. None of them won in the sense of like batting one out of the park, like yeah. Brian Mulroney did in '84. And by its very nature, that means 
I mean, I want to say Harper wins by default. I, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to say he won that debate, but his job as prime minister, if he loses it, it won't be because of his conduct in that debate. Mm-hmm. What about Duceppe? He was, uh, you know, I, I, I strongly dislike his party. Uh, really like him. Think he's a smart guy. He was fucking boring. He sucked this debate. What, what was the deal? I'm under the impression, and again, I will uh, suggest that I also have, did not watch the French debate, but I'm under the impression that he came across much better in the French debate. And I think that that's because he knew he really didn't have anything to prove in the English debate. Fair enough. So he kind of held his cards for the next night when he could more fluently, shall we say, kind of get his point across to the people he's trying to speak to. Yeah. That's true. Although I would I would say in past um, English language debates, I've seen Duceppe do better, in my opinion. He's always come across as, I have nothing to lose here. I'll just call it as I see it. Um, whereas this one, he did seem a bit more reserved. I don't know. I don't know if that's intentional or if he was just having an off day. But at the same time, I doubt he damaged his vote base. I doubt he ele- he gave Canadians the moment of pause to say that if Quebec left, they would be governed poorly. Look at this guy, which I think is all he has to accomplish in that debate. I suppose so. Um, I must disclose, I had a course the night of the leaders' debate and was <laughs> unable to watch it. <laughs> ah, okay. So you only got the highlights from the I got the, news. the highlights. I've heard some stuff in the current. I heard Harper was looking at a small man directly to your right, as the voice said. It, it did actually appear, and, and of, you know, a number of people have said, you know, you didn't give the other leaders the courtesy of looking them in the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, he was, it looked to me like he was looking directly below the camera lens. And I thought, because actually... He spoke very articulately, I have to admit. I thought he was reading a prompter, but but he wasn't. No, he wasn't. No, but that's what it looked like because he'd, he'd, someone would ask him a question, he'd be looking at them, and then he'd turn to the camera, look beneath it, and start talking. <laughs> and it was really weird. And another thing my good friend Jeff from Toronto pointed out is that he, um, every time his fake smile started to leave his face it would suddenly come back he he thought that there were electrodes that the conservative party had placed on stephen harper's body to make sure that he was smiling a common criticism of harper is that he's very bland and i mean you you use the word robotic already uh once this podcast and that's that is a very common uh, that he's like wound up by the Conservative Party and then sent out to speak to the press. Um, <laughs> I love that image. But he That's really why he doesn't take questions. But <laughs> it, the the thing is, he really did not do himself any favors by living up to that expectation in the debate. Absolutely. He had an opportunity to be a little more dynamic, to show a little more statesmanship, especially as compared to the other three. And instead, he looked stuffy and boring. And that was I, I felt that was kind of a missed opportunity for him. He had an opportunity to live up to the look at me hip with my Beatles mug, playing the piano at the conservative rallies kind of leader. And instead, he was a cardboard cutout, basically. I don't know. It it was bland yeah. and it was not to his credit, and in that's my the, opinion. That's the one thing that Harper has to work on. Well, that's one of the things that Harper has to work on is is that that appearance. He's got those cold blue eyes and that steel wool haircut like. He looks like an automaton, and he talks like an automaton. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, it's gotten him uh, consistent minority <laughs> governments. But but that's all. Never a majority. Um, so what do we think? Is uh, Are we going to wind up in a similar situation to the one that we were before this election was called? I think so. Yeah? Yeah. What makes you say that? Um, 
just looking at, at the way the seats are breaking down regionally, looking at where people have gained, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be an exact same vote um, uh, seat total, although it would be weird if it was. Um, <laughs> it would be crazy. But, I mean, the Conservatives are very close to a majority government. Um, we've still got lots of campaign left, but I don't know if we're going to see them pull that out. And looking at the other leaders and the other campaigns, I just don't see personally um, that the, the seat totals are going to shift much. Um, Maybe that's just my own feeling. I also have the feeling that this is a, an election, as necessary it is, as it is, you do need to govern with the, the, um, with the confidence of the House. But I still think most Canadians barely know that this election is going on. And having it at the beginning of May is just going to continue to emphasize that. We had the lowest voter turnout um, in our history last time? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, in our history. And I don't see anything to suggest to me that it's going to change. This election is being held at a worse time. And I just don't see us coming out. Even though there's a lot of excitement there. I mean, we have a minority parliament. The possibility that the government might change. But I still don't think a lot of people are going to come out. Um, I agree. I think that this will be an interesting opportunity if we do get another minority government for people to start asking questions about changing the way our voting system is structured, changing the way we think about our, the way our government works. Um, we haven't been a two-party country for a very long time. And I think that it's time that... Um, we take a look at that. And Canada is a young country, so in the evolution of our democracy, this you know comes a time where we have to look at the way we organize it, and I think we need to start questioning that. Mm -hmm. Which actually leads me into a question that I wanted to ask. It seems to me that one of the reasons why um, the Conservatives enjoy such a uh, such an advantage in the polls and and I would almost say an advantage in the electorate is because they are a right-leaning party, largely unified. On the left, you have the Liberals, the New Democrats, and the Greens stealing each other's votes. They're not unified. And someone who may be inclined to perhaps vote liberal, if the liberal party was the only left-leaning party, might go, eh, I don't quite agree with them. I'm going to vote for Green. And there's a lost vote to somebody else. Whereas the Conservatives have no competition on the right. They are your only choice. Is that is that to their credit? Is that like Is that a disservice to uh, our democracy? Is that something maybe there needs to be another federal conservative small c conservative party that kind of grows like is that's basically my question is 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 that a distinct advantage to the conservatives and is that something that maybe there needs to be a change i think that it is a distinct advantage i think it shows how coalitions can be successful because you know it, that the conservative party is a coalition party um, and I would say also in Quebec, the bloc is on the left, so there's further vote splitting. Um, I don't think that joining all the left-ish parties together would be an advantage. I don't think that they have enough in common. Um, I would argue that the Liberals aren't a left party. They're center parties. So More centrist, that's fair. Um, yeah, so I think that they do have that as an advantage, but I don't think that the solution is to just have a glob of left parties on the right. I'm sorry, yeah. So your, your solution would be perhaps more parties on the right give voters there a little more choice well or change that's the kind system. of i think more yeah like okay, i said more change the system um, i inferred incorrectly i apologize <laughs> it's all right yeah no i would agree it is a distinct advantage and it's one they've worked really hard at and it's one that's at risk um they need to have a leader that can unify all of those disparate portions of their party and it's one that stephen harper obviously successfully has done but it was by no means a guarantee when he became their leader. I mean, look at the, the perils that Stockwell Day, Joe Clark, and uh, Preston Manning had, and there's certainly no guarantee that that'll maintain itself when he departs. If 
you're ever at a loss to find out about what kind of things are going on in Edmonton, I feel sorry for you. And it probably means you aren't on Twitter, which is how I heard about the Edmonton Music Collector Show. This was an event that was planned by George Gavlak and a couple of friends, including his daughter, Kasha. And the event took place on Sunday, April 17th. There was a lot of buzz about it on Twitter. There was some coverage about it in the news media after the fact. But I had the prescience to go down there and check it out for myself. So I chatted with Kasha first, and then I talked to her dad, George. So this is Adam coming to you almost live from the uh, Edmonton Music Collector Show. And I'm standing here in among the throngs of people with Kasia Gavlak, uh, who's helped to organize this. So how do you feel about how the event's gone so far? Um, it's been absolutely amazing. It's completely surpassed our wildest expectations for our first time out. That's great. And, and this is, uh, it's not new but it hasn't been around for 10 years, you said. Is that right? Well, under the umbrella of the Edmonton Music Collector Show, it's the first time. Um, there was a show similar to this, uh, but it hasn't been seen in Edmonton like in about 10 years. So this is the first time we've had kind of like a trade show, buy, sell, and trade, um, just specifically focused on music uh, in Edmonton in, in over a decade. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Now, you've got uh, vendors here from all over Edmonton and Calgary, is that right? Yeah, we also, uh, yeah, we've got a number of um, kind of Edmonton's best vinyl retailers. We've got Blackbird Music, uh, Sound, Connect, or Sound, yeah, Sound Connection, we've got uh, Free Cloud Records, we've got Permanent Records, um, and we have one more that's escaped me, but it's on our website. And then... Uh, um, we've also got uh, ver some very prolific private collectors from all over the province. Um, Edmonton and Calgary, we've got people from Saskatchewan, from British Columbia. So, yeah, we've got um, some, some uh, very serious uh, collectors that have come out specifically to do this show. So. Now, is, is the big draw for a show like this uh, vinyl? Is it CDs? Is there any particular thing that people are looking for here? Well, I think primarily it's definitely about vinyl because vinyl collecting has made a huge resurgence like in the last five years. But you can still find a little bit of everything. Like there's definitely some people here with CDs, um, you know, some stuff that's out of print, what have you. And I've seen a lot of people coming and going with CDs too. So, um, so yeah, although the focus is, is certainly on records, there's definitely other stuff to be had. And there's even food here. You, you have food vendors. That's fantastic. Yes, the Sherbert Community League is running our concession, and they are doing um, kind of a different take on than what you would normally get at an event like this. So instead of like your typical just like hamburgers and hot dogs and bags of chips, we've got like buffalo bratwurst and chili and like homemade mashed potatoes and pie. So, yeah. So if you're hungry, there's something here for you too. Now, uh, I know that you've been, you've been working with your dad to plan this. Uh, how long did it take you to throw this thing together? Well, we started seriously. Like, they came up with the idea kind of um, in the late fall, like around November time. And we started like really pushing it and doing like starting to do all the promotions and um, all the supporting materials and starting to recruit vendors in about January. So, you know, it, it, was, a, it was about three and a half months, like from, from kind of when we really buckled down to start working on it until, until the day. So That's really great. Any, any estimates on number of people yet or... Well, we've had at least minimum, like, you know, five to six hundred people come through the door today. It could be more. That is incredible. Congratulations on a very successful event. Thanks so very much. And thanks for coming. No problem.
Here is my conversation now with George Gavlak. What was the inspiration behind uh, behind doing this at all? Well, I, I think uh, it was about time. We, we used to have a music collector show here in uh, Edmonton um, many years ago. I think the last show was probably a decade ago. And uh, there are certainly lots of collectors in and, and around the area. Uh, younger people are becoming interested in vinyl, for instance. And um, we've been operating, I think, uh, as far as a show or a fair goes under the pop culture uh, umbrella for a, a number of years now, but uh, the, the music guys um, definitely wanted a show of their own. And I, I think over the, uh, over the last two years or so, I, I promised a number of them, and I know most of them, that uh, when I retired, I'd uh, perhaps put something together. So that happened last summer. Uh, and so we pushed, you know, for, for the spring just to have a, a music collector show and it seems to have been uh, very successful. Uh, everyone's really happy. Yeah, by the looks of it, it's been uh, great. Now, um, are you here to grow your collection as well? Well, I always look for something for my collection, but if, if truth be known, uh, over the last year or so, I've been downsizing a little bit, which, which uh, happens uh, to, uh, you know, old guys like me who retire. I mean, uh, uh, my wife's put a little bit of pressure on me. We've got to do, we've got to travel a little bit. We've got to do a few things. So uh, I have let a couple of thousand go in the last year or so. But uh, I still have a sizable collection of about 8,000 records or so. And, uh, and sometimes something just comes along that you can't resist. It, it, it's old habits die hard, you know. Yeah. So uh, you, this has sort of exceeded uh, your expectations, I'm guessing. There's just a sheer number of people here. And I understand that earlier it was much busier. Yes, uh, uh, I, w I was very surprised that we had such a, a long lineup at the door before we opened at 10 o'clock. Uh, the first hour was a, a special collector's hour, and so we were charging a higher admission fee, but uh, giving, giving the real uh, hardcore collectors an opportunity to uh, um, find something that they really were looking for. Um, so it, it was uh, extremely busy at that time, but actually the whole day has been very, very brisk and uh, it's been a roaring success. So given that success, uh, do you want to go bigger and better next year? I don't know. Well, I think we'll have to spend a, spend a few weeks sort of assessing how this went, get some input from all the vendors, get obviously uh, uh, I've been talking to customers as, as they've been pushing through and uh, asking them uh, uh, whether they li like it, whether they have any recommendations, etc, etc. I, I mean, I don't think that we want to go huge all of a sudden because um, having a, an intimate venue with good energy you know uh, is is an important thing I mean as, as soon as the people um, came through the door I could see the smiles on their faces you know I could see the the interaction between them and and the vendors that we have here and uh, it it, uh, it it seemed it, it seemed obvious that everyone was having a good time you know there's a good good vibe here you know Definitely. well Congratulations on a great event, and uh, I look forward to coming next year. 
Yeah, well, thank you too. I, I just want to add one little thing, and uh, it's like we do have all the uh, independent uh, record stores on board here too. I mean, in Edmonton, you have uh, uh, Free Cloud, Sound Connection, Permanent Records, uh, Listen, and Blackbird, and they've all been extremely supportive, and uh, they're all here you know, representing their, their independent shops and uh, in, independent record stores are extremely important. That's why I wanted to give them this plug. Well, thank you for doing that, and uh, congratulations again, George. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. So you missed a great event if you didn't make it out to the Edmonton Music Collectors Show, but it sounds like it was popular enough that they might do it again next year. So keep your eyes on www.edmontonmusiccollectorsshow.com for more information, and we'll do our best to keep you apprised of the next one here at the Unknown Studio. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. Right, we should uh, take a moment before we carry on to thank our sponsors. Indeed, to thank our very special sponsors. And in fact, they recently sponsored a contest that wrapped up that we made so complicated that we only had one entry. Wow. Which means that one person will win the grand prize. And the other prizes will go towards a future contest. That's correct. And the grand prize was donated by Guru Digital Arts College. They're wonderful, aren't they, Scott? They are. They're they are like... the Hogwarts of Edmonton's digital media scene. That's exactly right. So if you're interested in online design, even print design, illustration, motion graphics, video game design, and soon an audio program as well, you should look up gurudigitalarts.com on the internet. Our second prize was donated by our friends at our very first sponsor, the The Edmonton Edmonton Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches saw fit to sponsor us when no one else would, could, or should have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's fair that's a fair statement yeah. and they they were kind enough to donate something for for our contest that will not be given out until we come up with a simpler model for contests so Indeed. thank you to the edmonton journal and finally our very dear friends oh the wonderful wonderful people at at the traveling tickle trunk edmonton's sex positive adult toy store yep they've got all kinds of fantastic toys and not only that but brenda and her staff do excellent sessions so you can learn how to give a blowjob or how to tie up your partner or how to uh, practice safe sex in general. So thank you very much to all of our sponsors for taking great care of us. If things don't change as you both have predicted and Harper ends up with a minority and the Liberals and the NDP and the Greens and the Bloc don't really see much shifting in seat numbers, um, how long before the knives come out for all the party leaders? Like, how long, how long are their reigns going to be measured at that point? And that includes Harper. If he doesn't win a majority... I think that if, if he's able to hold on to power in a minority government situation, unfortunately, 
for the conservatives. They'll probably keep him around. But I also think that he's one of their biggest stumbling blocks. I don't see it that way. You don't? No, I don't. I don't think he's one of their biggest stumbling blocks. I think we forget how much the right has come since 2004. I yeah. mean, is he better than Stockwell Day? Yes. Um, but Stockwell Day rode a jet ski, Duncan. <laughs> he rode a jet ski. And <laughs> I don't have a retort no, to actually, that. No, actually, yes, you do. Stephen Harper played the piano with Brian Adams. That's your retort. <laughs> <laughs> he, met, he met with Chad from Nickelback. That would probably be my actual retort. Ooh. Um, I think that, that's going to lose him. I don't votes. think so. I mean, I, will will some conservatives get antsy? Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, enough to displace him. Mr. Ignatieff has to do better than Stefan Dion. Otherwise, I think he. Oh yeah. He he has mm-hmm. to look at the way out. Uh, Mr. Layton, regardless of success or or not success, um, the gentleman's getting older, right? Like I, you can't. Politics is a game for the old, but it. There is a point where you you, you say there goodbye. was also concerns even going into this election. That's right. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yes. And yeah. and and Mr. Duceppe also for similar reasons. I mean, he he can't really stick around on the federal scene for another ten years. So both of those leaders, I don't think I wouldn't read too much into them retiring after this election as oh well they just didn't get the votes that they needed. I think it's it's just it's time. It's they, time they've given their public service, and in both cases, I think they've done their parties a world of good. I look at the Bloc Québécois; they've held a considerable position in the House of Commons for a long time with a very bizarre message to try and hold seats. Like, how do you door knock with with that message? And the NDP, a similar boat. I mean, I think if you look at the New Democrats when when Mr. Layton took power, they they were a marginal force, one that the liberals may have just excised from the House if, if they weren't careful. And, and Jack Layton has made actual inroads, especially in Quebec. Like in Quebec is a place where I would say the New Democrats are most surprisingly doing well. Them and the conservatives, when we compare our political scene to 2003, Quebec is where both the New Democrats and the conservatives have made real he- um, headway, and, uh, and it's, it's mostly at the expense of the liberals. Hmm. I don't want Jack to leave. I, I enjoy him. I think I he's too. a good politician. Mm-hmm. He is. And, uh, and there's a photograph of him wearing a uh, Star Trek uniform that <laughs> absolutely endears him to me because he looks good in it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's not well. And well, he, I, you know, I mean, well, he's doing, he's doing okay. He's doing well. He looked great in the leaders debate. That's well, for sure. Yeah. They have um, a lot of makeup, I think. All oh, of them. All of that's them. Terrible. Well, they're, all of them did certainly have makeup, but yes. I think he's doing well this campaign. Yeah. And, um, and I have to say my, my indictment has nothing to do with his health. I, I wish him nothing but great health, but it's more that there's a time where you want to spend time with your grandkids. There's a time where you, you want to catch up on your reading. And uh, I know I certainly have no desire to be doing my job when I, when I hit 70. And <laughs> I, I mean, if, if he wants to retire from public life, I mean, I think he's earned it. Definitely. What will that mean for uh, his wife? Do you think that she'll keep on keeping on? I would think so. Yeah, I, think I would there too. no reason why she wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about uh, candidates in Edmonton? How do we think things are going the big battleground in my mind of course is edmonton strathcona absolutely um and there have been some interesting missteps um and i'm thinking in particular when ryan hassman compared himself to lawrence decor and mrs decor was in the audience and got terribly upset with him and said you're nothing like my husband do you think he's going to beat linda duncan this time around I don't. I think it will be close. I think that it's very important that every single person get out and vote. But I think that, um, yeah, Linda Duncan's done a lot in that riding and people really, you know, whether they agree with NDP policies or not, I think they like voting against the Conservatives and being that only place in Alberta to not be Conservative. I think, you know, that 
the splash of orange. Yeah. Yeah. People like that. Definitely. Duncan? Oh, I definitely think that, that Mr. Hassman could win. Um, but Miss Duncan also could win. It is definitely the battleground. Um, Mr. Hassman's campaign has had a couple of missteps, as you pointed out the one, and mm-hmm. Prime Minister Canada pointed out the other. Um, all the same, I, I, I do think that it'll be a race, a race to watch for sure, and um, a lot of it will depend on how the national campaign goes too and whether or not the Conservatives can get out the vote that Mr. Jaffer failed to get out last time, as well as Miss Duncan, to make sure that the same people who voted for her last time make it back out to the polls. And I really, yeah, it really will depend on voter turnout. Um, in the 2008 election, the average voter turnout in the city was around 53%, and in Edmonton, Strathcona, it was 63%. Wow. And Jaffer got more votes in that election than he ever had before as well. So it really comes down to people actually getting out and voting. And then busty hookers happened. Poor Jaffer. Well, um, poor Jaffer is a relative term when you're talking about busty hookers. I, know, I didn't mean poverty. Point of view. I, was, I was mostly <laughs> being facetious. Um, <laughs> What do you guys think about um, the vote split uh, along gender lines in that riding? Because I get the sense that um, women really like Linda Duncan. They, they maybe they see themselves in her. I, can, I actually can't say, but but uh, I've I've seen a lot of the chatter online, particularly around the uh, around this particular riding. The ladies love Linda. I think they do. I think they also fear Harper, and rightfully so. Um, <laughs> women's rights and women's place in Canada have gratefully, greatly suffered under Harper's reign. Um, he's, you know, slash funding to status of women, slash funding to all sorts of organizations that offer services to women, remove the word equality from the mandate of status of women. Um, you know, it's it's not a smart move for women to vote for Harper, basically. So, any thoughts, Duncan? Um, uh, you don't, don't want to touch it quite the one? same way as Laura. Uh, well, I, probably I, not. I, I don't. Um, I do think gender is important and looking at how people vote. And I think ensuring that we have a diverse House of Commons is is a laudable goal for our society. I mean, certainly I think all of the parties um, should be doing more to promote women to be candidates and be candidates in, in electable ridings. Whether or not women like Linda Duncan because she's a woman, I can't say. I'm not a woman. I don't live in Edmonton, Strathcona. <laughs> um, so that's difficult for me to say. Um, for the women out there who are, who are considering who to vote for, I, I think... Um, there's all sorts of things you should look at, but certainly you should look at the record of the government and the other parties on, on what they would want to do to um, improve women in our society, make sure that there is more equality. Um, I, th- I would encourage everybody to do that. I don't see the conservative platform in quite the same lens, um, but I, I, I do think it's important. Scott, go ahead. What about elsewhere? Moving away from Edmonton, yeah. Strathcona. Yeah, sure. are, are there any other ridings in Edmonton where it could even be close, or yes. is it just going to be a runaway victory yes. for the Conservatives? First of all, let's not forget, Linda Duncan didn't just run in the last election. She ran in the election before, and she did mm-hmm. surprisingly well from a lot of people's perspectives. Coming in second place in Edmonton to a Conservative candidate is not the end of the world, and it's certainly not the end of your political future. Um, the two races I would want to highlight are Edmonton Sherwood Park, where um, the independent conservative Jim Ford came in second, a very close mm-hmm. second to Tim Upple last time, and also Edmonton Centre. I mean, it used to be the home of the deputy prime minister. There are a lot of individuals in that riding who are not going to be voting for Laurie Hahn. And it'll be interesting to see where they're going to put their vote this time. There's two credible candidates from Mr. Hahn's left, um, and that's Mary McDonald and Lewis Cardinal. It'll be interesting, interesting to see if one of those breaks away, either Mr. Cardinal or, or Ms. McDonald, break away from the other and pre- present a strong second or even 
give, give Mr. Hahn a run for his money. Um, those would be the three races I would highlight, but we're not writing off the rest, right? Like I say, no, I'm sure no. there's lots yeah. of people in Edmonton Strathcona in 2004 who would have thought, why even bother vote? Mr. Jaffer's just going to win anyway. Well, that's not true. Um, get out and vote. Vote for the person who, who reflects your views. And um, even a strong second can lead to change in a couple of, in a couple of years when the next election is held. And if my <laughs> prediction holds, right, yeah, election. we're going to have another minority parliament. And um, who knows who will be the government in that scenario. And that, that could also be up in the air. But um, I don't think that we're not going to go to another ballot box in a year. I would also point to Edmonton East. Ray Martin's running a very strong campaign there. And Peter Goldring, who's been the MP there, is a very lackluster backbencher who doesn't have a lot of popularity and support. So I would definitely say that's a campaign to watch in the city. Now, I live in probably the most left-leaning neighborhood in Edmonton East, Riverdale. And uh, I have not seen a single conservative sign in my constituency. I've seen the... Um, I can't remember the name of the liberal candidate. I've seen a few of them on public land, but the the neighborhood is positively plastered with Ray Martin signs, and I would be it would be great if he won. I haven't seen many election signs no? actually, and um, I can't uh, honestly say if it's because a lot of candidates are just kind of keeping a lower profile, or if it's because of just the atrocious weather that has made laying signs out uh, difficult this year. Mm -hmm. But as compared to even the recent mayoral race, and certainly my memories of the last federal race, it seems like there is a relative dearth of campaign signs. Am I the only person who sees that? No, but I think it's also early in the campaign. And I think we'll still see a few more pop up shortly. But um, it is indicative. And it also might be a sign of, I don't want to say voter fatigue. I mean, looking at public signs on public property is one thing. But on private property, I mean, that's that's got to be an active effort on the behalf of the, the voter or the resident, I guess, to say, I want to sign or to listen to the phone call when the campaign calls them back and say, hey, you had a sign last time. Do you want one again? Um, I think you will see more signs in the next couple of weeks. The weather is also going to play a role. But I also think increasingly people are becoming disenchanted with party politics altogether. And uh, I know I've had a sign on my lawn and I'm not having a sign this time. Um, I've seen a lot of signs, actually, where I've been walking around and transiting around, so it could just be the areas of the city or whether you're looking for them. I know in, uh, in Edmonton Mill Woods, mm. there's been uh, a lot of Mike Lake signs, but I haven't seen much else. Um, I was in Calgary last weekend, saw nary a political sign, and I was mm. kind of all over the place there. So either that means nobody gives a shit or they're all just going to vote conservative because that's what they do. Um, but <clears throat> I remember hearing when this election, before the election kicked off, it was really going to be fought in southern Ontario and in Quebec. So I imagine if you went to those places, you'd probably see a hell of a lot more signage than you do in Edmonton. But that's just my thought on that. You mentioned uh, that there's kind of this emphasis on Quebec and southern Ontario, and arguably there probably is every election. Um, I'm going to make reference to uh, talk show host Dave Rutherford. Um, who, uh, uh, after the, uh, the debates, brought up the point that, uh, in, for those of you who didn't watch the debate, and I'm not going to presume that all of our listeners did, um, certainly one of our guests did not, they had uh, kind of pre-taped questions from the average Canadian. None of them came from Alberta. Only one of them came from west of Ontario out of, what was six or seven questions? Thoughts? Uh, first of all, those planted questions were awful. It was it was <laughs> it was such a 
so obviously a production to in my mind <laughs> that uh, I mean you know the average citizen is not going to ask a question like the ones that were asked. Um, so did I care that they weren't from Alberta? No. Um, I was, you know, there were some Canadian towns I'd never heard of. I thought that was kind of cool. But I mean, for me, it was, <laughs> I didn't care. I think British Columbia will be in play. Um, do I care about the questions? Of course. And I mean, I think it's indicative of a larger pattern of, of all of the major parties writing off our province and our city in terms of what they're offering in their platforms. And I, I, I hold no party blameless in this accusation. Um, indeed, we were talking about this earlier before Laura came in. The New Democrats were, were, the, only, were the ones who launched their campaign here in Edmonton. Yeah. Otherwise, the other parties have given us scant notice, and I'm sure you guys probably will field a bunch of uh, angry emails, and I might even get a couple for saying that. But um, I, think, I think Alberta is taken for granted by one party and is written off by the others. I strongly yeah. believe that, and I think when you look at their policies, if that indictment fits of when was the last time we saw a political party even obviously trying to buy our vote the way they obviously try and buy votes elsewhere in the country. Yeah. Yes, and I actually I thought it was an oversight to have only French questions from Quebec when you know New Brunswick or there's a large francophone community in Alberta in Saskatchewan. One. Yeah. Yeah. I um posited that it would be interesting for someone to run for the Bloc Québécois in one of those French uh, communities that exist outside of Quebec, if only because I would seriously hope, wish them the best and would like them to win. Because what would the Federal Bloc Québécois do if suddenly they're representing St. Albert, <laughs> which has a large francophone population? That's why I'm, I bring it up. But like, what if, what if somebody won in, in a, in a St. Albert riding for the Bloc Québécois and suddenly the Bloc has to represent Quebec and them? Would their heads explode? I'm curious. I don't know. I mean, I think when you look at francophone thoughts that exist outside of Quebec, I mean, I think francophones, and this is now me presuming, I Polish, Scottish background. Uh, obviously, <laughs> this is not me saying this, but I think a lot of francophones elsewhere feel alienated, not by the federal government, but by the attention that Quebec gains for being francophone, not recognizing that Canada is truly bilingual from coast to coast, not having a small French enclave in the midst of a sea of English. Um, so I, I, I don't know if the, what the bloc would do. Also, I don't know if Gilles Duceppe would sign this person's nomination papers. He might be <laughs> like, what? I don't remember a writing association nominating someone here. I think my head exploded with delight at the thought of having a bloc Quebecois MP from Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would be hilarious. I think, it would be, I think it would be great. And I think if somebody's listening to this, you are a French speaker and you live in a largely predominantly French part of Alberta, give it serious consideration. What I also very much like about it is it demonstrates our province as a, a diverse community, which mm -hmm. is something that is truly lacking on the federal level. Like how many federal Torontonians, to, to go back to Adam's friend, <laughs> think we're a bunch of hicks, right? Like yeah. redneck hicks. Um, having a Bloc Québécois MP would at the very least dissuade that notion and say like, no, this, we're a diverse community, as diverse as any place in Toronto. You guys are the ones who elected Rob Ford. Right? Oh, man, I don't even want to go down <laughs> like, that road. So, so, I mean, I think that whenever I travel across Canada and people, I say, oh, I'm from Alberta, people automatically make all sorts of assumptions about us. Yeah. Uh, and even worse, if you start to suggest, well, you know, I, I don't hate the federal government. Probably I'm going to vote conservative in the next election. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, you're that kind of guy. You must think this way on same-sex marriage. You must think this way about recycling. And I'm like, no, I, I definitely don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, 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 politics don't really work along those lines so much anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's partly because of party politics, admittedly. And uh, a lot of people, I think a lot of people 
tend to be a little more centrist in their political views, uh, more so than most parties' platforms would generally support. And we're kind of pigeonholed. And I, I think that's a disservice to the average voter. And that people are a little more complex. And that's kind of argue, arguably my main criticism with party politics, period, that usually people are more complicated than being able to boil down to, well, I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal, I'm a new Democrat. No, I kind of agree with a lot of bits and pieces from all of their platforms. And there's not really a, a Scott C. Bourgeois party that I can vote for that <laughs> totally lines up with me. So, But we've talked about forming that party. Yes. Party of one. A party of one. <laughs> but uh, that's touching on something that we talked about previously with Duncan, actually. So, In our first season. As many of our listeners will recall from an episode a few weeks ago, I recently started on a weight loss journey that included a tremendous amount of exercise and slightly changing my eating habits. Now, I've been at it for about four weeks. And uh, it's, it hasn't been easy. I got to tell you, it hasn't been easy. And although I didn't get a chance uh, to record this with my trainer, Carrie, in time, I did want to share a little bit of success with you. First of all, in order to make sure that I'm eating properly, I'm using an application called MyFitnessPal. You can find it at MyFitnessPal.com. And uh, you can also download an app of it to your iPhone, which is what I've done. It has been tremendously helpful. I have changed some of the things that I eat. So some of the advice that Carrie gave me, obviously, is when you have the opportunity to order a salad instead of fries, you order a salad. Get the dressing on the side so it's not drowning in the stuff. I was also told to eat more poultry and more fish and to try and stay away from red meat. That has been excessively challenging. and I was actually quite surprised at how difficult that change would be. But nonetheless, I've eased my way into it. The other thing that I'm doing that has been... I don't know, just impossible, has been to not drink beer anymore. Beer is extremely caloric, as many of you know, so I've had to switch to nothing at all. And on occasion when I do have a drink, it's usually a vodka and a soda. And I'm not very fond of vodka, I have to tell you. But on top of that, I'm exercising four times a week outside of my training sessions with Carrie. So twice a week, I do a 32-minute run at a fairly high heart rate. And this is apparently having a heart rate monitor is extremely important because obviously it can tell you where your heart rate's at. I need to be running at 85% of my uh, maximum heart rate, which is around 167 beats a minute. So these aren't little jogs. I'm running hard and burning a lot of calories. But other than the two runs a week, I also do circuit training twice a week. And that involves um, a series of exercises using a cable machine, doing sit-ups and plank knee drives and the like. And those have been brutal. I do three sets of each of these five exercises. And in between the group of five exercises, I'm biking or running at a high intensity to keep my heart rate up at around that 167 level. Let me tell you, it has been exceedingly challenging. In the first two weeks of my exercise program, I was miserable. I hated having to go and do my run. I hated having to go to the gym. It was a colossal pain in the ass. Then we did a big weigh-in 
last time I was at the fitness studio, which would have been, um, well, at the time you're hearing this, we're talking a week and a half ago. I have lost, since starting this weight loss journey, 8 pounds, 8.2 pounds to be exact, and you can see it on my body. So now that I've been able to stick with the program for long enough and see the results of all this exercise, you can bet your ass that I'm continuing to do it with great gusto. If any of you guys is thinking of doing it, drop me a line, send me an email, adam at theunknownstudio.ca. Let's chat about it. Let's support each other. Let's try and get each other uh, more fit and, and make Edmonton one of the fittest communities. I mean, we've got a huge online community in the city. Let's all try and be fit. And hell, I'll even give you a referral to my trainer, Carrie, who has been not only a great ass kicker, but tremendously supportive of the work that I'm doing, even though every time I go to see her, I complain. I know I couldn't do it without her. So here's to another 8.2 pounds, and I'll keep you guys updated as to my weight loss journey. It's been tremendous. I'm very, very pleased with the results. And uh, now I'm going to go sit on the couch and dream about eating pizza again one day. Time to check the old email. Dear Jeff and Sally, what the heck's the Edmontonian.com? Adam and Scott. Well, Adam and Scott, the Edmontonian's a local news and information website, but it's collaborative, so anybody in Edmonton can write and create content for us, and it's all things Edmonton news, neighborhoods, sports, arts, events. Sally, can you get off the phone? I'm trying to answer emails. TheEdmontonian.com. On the internet since 2009. An event invitation on Facebook recently caught my eye. The one-shot photo contest being promoted by Art Jam. So I spoke with Chris Kroll, one of the one-shot organizers, about the contest, about Art Jam, and about being creative in the city of Edmonton. Tell me a little bit about how you guys came up with the concept for it. Um, well, um, it, first off, it's kind of a, it's a part of something bigger. So uh, what we want to do is kind of provide these uh, interesting events, uh, kind of innovative and interesting spin on things and while bringing artists together. So um, it's kind of a parallel event complement our main event that's coming up on May 7th, which is Art Jam Photo Catalyst Edition. Okay. Um, so we kind of wanted to jump off from there, and uh, what we wanted to do is, um, well, it was kind of birthed out of thinking of ways to inspire creativity by restricting uh, one facet of the process. Okay. So uh, in, in this case, we were limiting the photographers to one photo only. And is that why you're, you know, you're, it's one camera, one photo, and, and people get judged based on that one image that they take. Is that why you decided to go with disposable cameras? Um, it just made the logistics a lot easier. Yeah. Um, just get a disposable camera. You know, if something happens to it, it's just a disposable camera. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it also, you know, it, uh, it gives a level um, playing field for everyone involved. So it's not 
the gear that you have or the lenses that you have. It's a disposable camera, very lo-fi, and then you just go out and you, you and you have to think about what you're going to take a photo of. Yeah. So you're restricted, but at the same time, you have ultimate freedom within the time frame of an hour. <laughs> okay, so you, you're given a camera and you have an hour to go out into the world. That's right. Okay, and, and um, it says here that you can enter as many as three times per person. Yes. So would that mean that I could come in, uh, grab one camera, go away for an hour, come back, and then grab another camera? Is that how it works? Um, well, whichever way you want to do it. We just uh, wanted to set a cap so that, you know, one person doesn't have too many entries into the contest. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, so yeah, the, the cap is at three. Okay. But, um, but yeah, you can take three different pictures, um, but you you would have to enter and pay the, the registration fee for each photo. Right. And how, what has the response been so far? Have you got a lot of people signing up or a few? Uh, we have a lot of people interested. Yeah. Um, they haven't necessarily been coming out in, in throngs, but uh, uh, we anticipate that the closer it comes to the deadline, which is April 25th, we'll be taking registrations up until then. Okay. Uh, more and more people will be taking photographs. Cool. And what's, what's the other event that you're doing that's sort of tied to this on May 7th? Um, well, the main event is uh, it's called Art Jam. Mm -hmm. That's um, really the whole series of events that we're planning throughout the year. They're, they're all going to be titled Art Jam, but this is the Photo Catalyst one. Okay. So basically what we did is we got in touch with as many artists as we, can think, as we could think of, yeah. um, and then they got in touch with, with, with fellow artists. And um, we were interested interested to see um, where different artists using different mediums could take the same starting point. So um, for this time uh, this time around, we wanted to use a photograph. So any artist could sign up for it. They would be assigned a photograph, and then they have ultimate freedom as to where to go with that. Cool. So we're putting it all together, and um, at the showcase gala on May seventh at Expressions Cafe, okay. um, we will be showcasing what people came up with, and it'll be really interesting to see it all come together from the starting point, um, seeing the process, and then how it all comes together. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, who, how did you guys come up with the whole Art Jam concept? Um. Basically, you know, just uh, shooting ideas around with uh, other creative people and uh, just kind of talking about the process and, you know, how we like to get started and, and what methods we use. And um, so, yeah, we were just interested to see how different artists go about things. Cool. So um, to come up with something where we can bring the artists together in a networking type of situation and be able to share ideas and experiences while also seeing, you know, uh, seeing the starting points and the end points all together. So um, it was more a curiosity and wanting to explore, you know, like the reaches of, of uh, creativity. Well, that's how some of these, some of the most interesting projects get started, I would think. Mm -hmm. um, for the for the one shot photo contest, if you could just uh, tell us what the uh, what the prize is for the for the winner. 
the prize is a free tattoo or piercing yeah. from uh, Off-White Tattoos. Um, there are some restrictions, of course, but uh, basically it's two hours free tattooing or piercing. Wow. Um, yeah. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, well, well, you know, we we had to cap that as well. We didn't want someone to just go in there. I want a whole back beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Corey D from uh, Off White Tattoos was kind enough to uh, to contribute that. Very that cool. is a, our, our grand prize. Great. Well, uh, best of luck with uh, the photo contest and with the art jam on May seventh, man. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you. Um, also, I wanted to uh, just mention where where the one shot photo contest. The event is happening. Of course, yeah. Um, it's at Cha Cha Island Tea Company, C H A. It's at one hundred three three two eighty first Avenue. Okay. And that's where you sign out the the cameras and take the picture. Well, you're free to go wherever to take the pictures, but that's where you bring them back, and that's where the event is going to be happening. Perfect. And uh, local band. Collective Unconscious is going to be playing that night as well. Right on. And uh, for those of you listening right now, you can find a link to the One Shot Photo Contest and Show event on Facebook through our website. Thanks again for chatting with us, Chris. Perfect. Thank you, Adam. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. For more information on Art Jam, you can find their page on Facebook, follow them on Twitter, or check out their website at www.whatisartjam.ca. Now, what do you guys think about the network consortium leaving uh, Elizabeth May out of the debates? This uh, very contentious for some people. Um, she was in the previous uh, election debate. Um, what does it mean? What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's a, it shows why we shouldn't let the consortium make those decisions. Basically, it's undemocratic to have a corporation deciding what party leaders are featured in a national debate. Um, so, yeah, if there's a way to better democratize that and, you know, whether or not Elizabeth May should be allowed in, um, I think that that decision shouldn't be made by corporations. I think the rules need to be fair and upfront. I don't think they should be decided right, right before the, the, the debate's going to happen. Um, what that standard should be, I mean, I'm open to all sorts of thoughts and there's even been a couple of pieces out there, as well as the United States talks about this a lot too, because like, how did Ross Perot get into the, the debate in, um, 92, like, guy doesn't represent a party that has any political power anywhere in the United States. Um, my gut instinct says if we're going to continue with the system of public financing of parties, if you get a high enough vote total to get some of my tax dollars, I at least want to hear from you and pitch me your mm -hmm. vision for Canada. I think that's fair. And um, even though I didn't watch them, I do think the debates were lacking for it. Um, there wasn't a lot of discussion of climate change, of environmental issues. And I think that's something that that's the Green Party's role. And I think that she does a good job of always bringing that up in the conversation. Yeah, definitely agree. I think that if, if they had her in the previous debate, whatever that benchmark meant mm -hmm. should have been the thing against which all of this stuff was mm -hmm. measured again. But last time she was allowed in the debate because she had an MP. A liberal had crossed the floor. Ah, okay. So I know that was a big part of the justification for her being in the last debate, as well as Stéphane Dion um, championed her presence in the debate. Which, which was, was cool. Which is something that no party leader was willing to stand up this time and say, like, if she's not there, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, and in fact, I tweeted that someone should do that because um, wh what do you have to lose other than a few seats? Well, 
I think ultimately any political discourse can only uh, benefit from more ideas being present. And I, I agree that it was it was a disservice to her party and it was uh, in a way a disservice to the political discourse to say, no, you're not allowed through the door. Uh, she is a major party leader and uh, she deserves to, to be heard on the same forum as the other party leaders. Um, whether or not I agree with her her opinions or her thoughts yeah and uh in fact when she debated last time she was phenomenal she was she's a great debater i thought she was great so i would have liked to i would have liked to see that again instead of badger face and robot eyes just sort of staring blankly at each other and ducep being obscure and irrelevant to most canadians there i've uh revealed my bias for this particular election um but i think it could be an interesting one because you know when when guys like my dad um uh, you know, lived in Edmonton most of his life, now lives in Calgary, usually always voted conservative. You know, he's getting a little older, so he's starting to see the world more through the, the eyes of his kids, says, I'm voting green. That makes me sit up and say, what the fuck, Dad? Really? That's interesting. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to change dramatically. I, I happen to agree with Duncan. I think we'll end up in a minority situation. I think you'll see the block lose seats. I think you'll see the NDP gain some, and I'm not really sure what's... I think it'll sort of be a tug-of-war between the Liberals and the Conservatives. But uh, but over the next few years, five years, things are changing, and that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. I th But I also agree with uh, Laura. I think the political system, the vote, the election system has to change. Well, let's be clear, too. Just because a parliament is a similar doesn't mean that the end result has to be the same as well, sure. right? Um, whoever becomes prime minister needs to gain the confidence of the house and there's certainly no guarantee if the situation stays the same uh, the constitutionally the prime minister will be offered that opportunity but he may not be able to get it i mean same government may still be held in the same opinion by the the other party leaders who will say well we just don't have confidence in your government um and then we'll be in that we'll be breaking new ground as canada exciting ground yeah very cool which the conservative pundits will scream bloody murder about they will, but I think it'll be different in the event of if there isn't a formalized coalition. And you're right; they, they're going to scream bloody murder if they lose power anyway. That's the nature of the beast. The liberals screamed about the hidden agenda when they lost power as well. Um, but just because they're going to scream that doesn't mean that it's going to be the formalized coalition that they've demonized the whole time. Mr. Ignatiev can just be asked if he's the if he's second place. I mean, I'm presuming things there. Do you think you can hold the confidence of the House? He doesn't necessarily have to promise anything to the other two parties other than I'll govern better than Harper, and when you don't like it, we'll just vote against me and we'll go back to the polls. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I don't see a liberal minority being completely out of place here, even in the event that they have less seats than the Conservatives. I don't think the Governor General is going to require some sort of written letter signed off by the Bloc and the NDP yeah. in order to form government. I mean, I don't think the Governor General is going to want to go to an election. I don't even think they have the power. I think they're required to ask the leader of the official opposition, do you think you can? Um, I just came to my mind, so I, th I thought I'd ask the question. Uh, party politics aside, out of let's say the the four uh federal federal parties and i put i use air quotes because of gilles duceppe of course who would you like to see as prime minister of canada it, you don't have to answer if you don't want to answer the <laughs> question i'm happy to answer we but can I, we can totally I, edit it out <laughs> i just uh, i have to critique the question because okay yeah that's that i think that's one of the problems with this election and with 
um, what happens in Canada in general because you don't vote for the prime minister. That's right. You know, you vote for your MP. And I think that Harper's really been able to successfully use this misconception to spin things and to spin this election and to spin the way that he talks about things. Um, that's the way it is, or he's been really successful in using that to demonize the idea of a coalition. Um, people vote for their MPs and then those MPs decide how to organize the government. And, you know, whoever the leader happens to be happens to take power, but it's not voting for the prime minister. And sure. I think that, yeah, that just... Really, there's only one riding in Alberta that is voting for Stephen Harper. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's, that, you know, you're Southwest. absolutely right. Yeah. It's hearkening back to history, but, but Don Getty lost his seat when he was the sitting premier back in the 80s. And it would be hilarious, and it would say something. And I think that's an inverse of the relationship with the conservatives and Harper. I mean, I think, for the most part, most conservatives are happier with Harper than they are with their own party. Do you think, though, that, that uh, the average voter... Yeah, let's let's do it along those lines. The average voter, whoever you guys happen to think that is, I certainly couldn't define it for you right now, but that's the language I'm going to use. Do you think that they look at the candidate that they're voting for or do they just look at the party that they're voting for? Like, is it not a leadership driven or a leader driven election? I think it depends on the riding. I think it's different for every riding. I think in a lot of ridings, um, where there are just sort of, you know, passive backbenchers, then it is more looking at the party leaders and the parties. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of writings, there are really f- great, effective MPs who do have a really great connection with their constituency, and people vote for that MP. Yeah, I would agree with Laura, but I would say for the most part, I mean, we are a very party-driven process. Looking at mainstream media, it's very leadership-focused. I mean, if we turned on the news tonight, there would not be a spotlight on, look at this race. It would be, here's where the leaders were today in Canada. And it's, it's a big deal when the leader comes to your community. It's not focused on the candidate. So I think the average layperson, especially someone who doesn't pay attention to politics very often, probably is looking at the party leaders. That being said, though, there are some candidates that reach out there. And, I mean, having worked on campaigns, I, I know the, the single biggest thing a candidate can do is to actually reach out and talk to a voter. Go and knock on their door. Ask them for, your, for, your, for their vote. That makes a huge world of difference to gaining someone's vote. And so if you're actually touched by a campaign, I think... Uh, I think you can be maneuvered into away from looking from the leader and considering the candidate that took the time to come to your door. And I've, I heard that even during the uh, the mayoral race recently in Edmonton. There were a lot of people who said, you know, I may not have voted for so-and-so, but it was very nice that he came to the door and spoke to me. Like, that made uh, that made it a difference in, in my selection when it came to casting my vote. The fact that X came to the door and said, hey, how are you? This is me. This is what I believe in. Let's chat. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just, you know, leaving you a flyer or a face on a billboard or something. Yeah, well, I think the personal touch is still hugely important in politics. I think you win more votes probably by knocking on doors, um, which is why, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I'm just astonished at how poorly social media is being used, not just by the leaders, but by individual candidates as well. They're still using it as a broadcast medium. They pretend it's like a like a living pamphlet and and you know you can't knock on every door but gosh you could have some great conversations um with people online if it, you know and I, I recognize they don't have a lot of time and that's fair but but i mean you know i, I put a question to Lori hahn um during the leadership debate because i don't know a lot about the topic but um you know the conservatives are talking about scrapping the long gun registry and i said i don't really know a lot about the issue but isn't that it's done it's finished it's there isn't that throwing the baby out with the bathwater 
never got a response. You know, I would have loved even for him to be like, call my office. Let's talk about it. Because I probably would have if he'd only if there was only that personal touch. So. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how, you know, the, the coming to someone's door and making that personal connection is still hugely important. But I agree. We're mm. still very leader driven. Yeah. And I don't think candidates are faced with time. I think they're worried about the risk. Right. The risk of saying something you really shouldn't in social media. I mean, we all know politicians who have done that and <laughs> had to pay a price for it. Yeah. Sometimes with their careers. Um, I suspect the major parties tell their candidates in their campaigns, if if you're not sure it's a good idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, I would love to see more humanizing effects um, uh, of social media, seeing someone taking their kids to school, whatever the, ca the case might be. But I think they're, they're, they're told, um, don't do anything that might open this up. But to me, the greater, the greater risk is irrelevancy. Like, well, okay, so you're not responding to me. Like, why I mean, should I, I even care about I you? I think that's I mean, a risk that, some, that the bigger parties are willing to take. I guess. They would sooner be irrelevant and in power than yeah. relevant and out of power, right? I guess so. Um, if, if, uh, if someone like my MP, uh, Miss Ambrose, if she did something that jeopardized a seat in Southern Ontario, like it doesn't matter whether or not she's lost a thousand votes in my riding. It matters whether or not she is also in turn going to lose a hundred seats in Bev Oda's riding. That's much more damning for the, the party as a whole. So to be fair, I think Minister Oda is going to do a damn fine job of losing her own seat well, herself. And I, I agree. If, she, if that's but, her but bed, she's made point. it. But, sure. but it's a competitive riding. It's yeah. a competitive riding long before she wrote no in the margin, maybe, maybe <laughs> not, right? Um, it was, and and Miss Ambrose's responsibility to her party is to to avoid losing that seat, which in my mind speaks to like, well, this is why the party system is not the most ideal system I, I, I in totally the first agree. place. Totally agree. But I think you make a valid point in that it's a place where uh, parties can be reaching out to you. And if you had emailed that question, you would have gotten a response. Yes. So I think that they need to start changing um, how they view Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing as just being one-off, not mattering, but start viewing it like someone's emailing, like someone's calling the office and uh, respond to it as such. Definitely agree. That's what I tell my clients. None of them are politicians, though. <laughs> They're all business owners. All right. Oh, yeah. I think it's time. I think it's that special time of the show. My favorite part of the show? Your very favorite part of the show. We do a little thing called the Fast 16. <laughs> so the way this works, Duncan's been here before, but we'll let him play again anyway. <laughs> Laura, at the end of every show... We spend a little bit of time with our guests, asking them uh, if there is two guests, we ask them each six standardized questions, and then they get two wild card questions at the end. Um, and this, they're, you know, ridiculous, like what's your favorite color and stuff like that. Um, so that's what we're going to do, the Fast 16 with Laura Collison and Duncan Voitasek. Starting with you, Laura, number one, your favorite food. Tacos. Duncan, your favorite color. I wonder if you'll compare it to last time, yellow. Yeah, we'll have to see if yeah, uh, I what's wonder if changed, changed in right. a year. Laura, Mac, PC, or Linux? PC. Oh, really? I'm poor. <laughs> student, I've got student loans. I, you know, I need a federal party with a strong education plan. There you go. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, Duncan, dogs or cats? Cats. Laura, coffee or tea? Coffee. Duncan, your favorite holiday? My birthday. That, that, that we will accept that. I think that's acceptable. Laura, your favorite sport? Soccer. Duncan, your favorite pastime? Video games. Right on. Laura, your favorite music right now? The Tigran Bikini Kill. 
Okay. Duncan, your favorite movie right now? Oh, I, I wish I wasn't pausing. King's Speech. Oh, yeah. That was a great film. It was. Laura, your favorite video game? Super Mario Brothers 1. Nice. <laughs> great choice. That's a good go-to. It's probably the last video game I played. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Duncan, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars, but it is close. So upsetting to me. Now we're on to our wild card questions. And because this was a political discussion, I'm calling these my Canadian politics predictive wild card questions. Starting with you, Laura. In how many years will the Green Party be a leadership debate mainstay? What do you think? Next election. All right. Duncan, when will the Canadian government legalize marijuana? Five years. I can't wait. It's going to be great. My 35th birthday. All right, Laura, your last wild card question. When do you think Stephen Harper will need a new arc reactor to be installed in his chest? <laughs> um, I think that if he doesn't get a majority, it's going to explode. It's going to <laughs> uh, that isn't to say he's Iron Man. It is to say that he's a robot. And Duncan, when will the Bloc Québécois finally fade into political obscurity? Ten years. Really that long? I think it'll be less time than that. I hope you're right. I hope so, too. You guys, this was a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, of course, it is, it is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 47. Our guests, Duncan Whitasik and Laura Collison. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. I, I keep a list of our guests. Do, 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 do. We have had 15 girls on the show out of 54 guests. That is unacceptable. That is, that totally is. And it's and it's what the hell? not intentional. It's just it's that a... we, for some reason, end up... And we've approached it's women before who've just been like, yeah. I can't make it. So. I blame... Blame the patriarchy. I, will, I blame okay, the patriarchy. Yeah, it's the patriarchy, which we are firmly established. It's because Scott and I have mom issues. <laughs> <laughs>